Hello and welcome to episode 100 of Start the Beat with Sykes. I am Sykes and this is my podcast. Now before we get started, I just wanted to take a quick moment to thank everyone who checked out last week's episode with Meg and James Evans of the Pittsburgh Brutal Beer Fest. If you're one of the people who checked out that conversation, I hope you enjoyed it and thanks so much for coming back. But for those of you out there who are new to the show, welcome. Please feel free to make yourselves at home. And as always, there's beer and soda in the fridge. Episode 100. Wow. Wow, that's that's crazy. I feel like I should be making a bigger deal about this, but I don't really give a fuck. Who cares? Today on the show, we got my good longtime friend, Matt Vary. And I asked Matt to actually do episode 100 of the show because he was one of the first people I had on the podcast. And both of our lives have changed significantly in the past three years that I've been doing this podcast. Matt has completed his studio, which he was just kind of starting at the point when we recorded our original conversation. And yeah, today we're going to talk about what the studio has been like for him, how life's been, and I think if you know Matt, you'll enjoy this conversation, and if you don't know Matt, you're going to get to know him, and I think you will like Matt very a lot. He is a huggable motherfucker. Without further ado, let's just get into the damn conversation. Sit back, relax. And let's start the motherfucking beat! Hi, Matt. <laughs> Hi, Brian. <laughs> How's it going, Matt? How have you been? It's it's going all right. Yeah. Just making myself at home here. Uh-huh. I heard the studio's done. <laughs> yes, it is. Okay, great. <laughs> End of episode. <laughs> studio's great. <laughs> no, but you, uh, in all seriousness... It's pretty cool. It's hard to express the appropriate amount of emotion because while this is your second time on the podcast, yeah, this is probably the third time I've seen you this week. So, <laughs> and yeah. I, I have been to the studio and I have recorded several things there at this point. And yeah. it's old news to me, but it might be new news to some people out there. Some people just might be curious to know. Yeah, you know how things have been. How's it going? Uh, how's how's recording music in a place that you built from the ground up, pretty much? Uh, it's, uh, I guess, in short, it's amazing. <laughs> um, the studio, I guess, to, to actually to September here uh, is my one year of working in the studio full time. Um, so September 2015, I quit my job at Mitsubishi. Oh, really? So it's been a year already? Yeah, it's been a whole year now. And I guess like the the initial like 
starting out in the studio the first like i don't know three to six months it was a little sketchy and just like oh my god am i gonna make like enough money to cover my bills this month and uh i guess after you got through the 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 first initial like you know up till that point i was a ridiculous like workaholic at that point like trying to finish the studio and it was like you're working 40 or 50 hours a week at your normal job and then everything else after that was either getting put into finishing the construction there or working with whatever band I was working on at the time and I guess the 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 big like shock to me was going from having all that that time being used to getting back 40 to like 50 hours a week to not exactly have something going on oh, okay. that, that wasn't yeah. like your work. Yeah. It was like, I didn't have, you know, booking wasn't out of control at first either. So it was like one or two bands, you know, a month. And so I was like, well, what do I do with all this time? Well, um, what did you do? Uh, I guess a, a lot of it went into like sound treating the rooms. Um, Cause just because like, the studio was open. Um, There's still like tweaks I had to do. Uh, yeah, you probably couldn't really figure out what it needed until you started tracking bands in there. I'm sure there was a few things that you didn't even think of until. Yeah, it, it was happened. a lot of like, what's going on? You know, working in a new space, so you, you first have to get used to what it sounds like uh, initially, and then you have to go through the what does it need, and then the final step of how do I make that happen? Mm -hmm. Well, I guess, and then making it happen. In, um, in this past year, has being in the new space like changed anything significantly about your production style? Uh, yes. <laughs> like, do you look at um, things differently now? Or are you like open to trying new thing, different things that maybe you couldn't do before at your old space? Uh, I think that there's a, a, a lot of things have changed since operating in like my old basement spaces or like practice spaces versus operating in a, a, a legit environment. Um, well, I think the biggest thing was it is now just a, a professional operation and I think just my mindset of treating it more so has definitely affected the way that like I go about doing work okay um where it's like i have to be confident in what i'm doing there's no more guessing there's no more unsure situations it's like i better know these michael these mics like tonal footprint or like what preamp to put this through to get the sound that whoever's looking for um so i think that was just like one of the big changes as far as me goes working in a new space and then as far as like sound or like sonic changes. Um, I think one of the biggest things was having the ability to isolate things so well as I can now. Um, especially with like the, the ISO booth I have inside we were hitting an obnoxious amount. It was like, I think 122 dBs on the meter. And then outside the door we were hitting about 80. And outside the building you can't even hear it. Yeah. And... It, at that point, it's just like, wow, so everything you're monitoring 
is through the microphones themselves rather than being in front of the amp. Mm-hmm. Um, and it, the, just like that change alone really helps you out as far as dialing in tone. Um, Did that like change the way you mic cabs or anything like that? Yes and no. I guess it depends, uh, yeah. I like to keep like a ever-changing like mic style. Um, the, I think as soon as you get stuck in a, a routine, as far as like the, the your style or your uh, like mic placement or whatever process you're doing, if it starts becoming routine, you start to uh, like work backwards, pretty much regress because you're you're no longer thinking about what you're trying to achieve and you're just doing uh, whatever preconceived like sure this is how it's supposed to be done and yeah. so I'm gonna repeat that I'm gonna repeat that and you're no longer actively thinking about what you're doing and you're no longer learning and I always try to avoid like getting into like I always put a 57 on them you know G1275 or something and it's just like. Then everything's gonna sound the same, and you're not gonna know what to do in a situation where you don't have that. Um, so, I, yes and no, things have changed. the The biggest sonic change, like sound for that I've been told that's changed, is my drum sound. Everybody's been complimenting me that on uh, pretty much across the albums I've done out of the new space, and I think a lot of that, I. I hope has to do with the live room i have now just 18 by 25 feet um that's about triple the size of like the space <laughs> i used to work out of yeah um and it's very bright uh so everything in it like snare drums toms they all sing uh so you really get to utilize like room mics and it gives everything like a, a whole nother depth i guess to the the, the drum sound yeah now, is there anything about the space that you don't like? Or do you think you like knocked it out of the park? Uh, that's a good question. What could I nitpick if I had to? Um, I think one thing that drives me nuts is just the location. Like, Sure. The, yeah, I'm sure there's plenty of <laughs> Sharpsburg stories. Yeah, just... Which uh, we, we could probably get into that. I've probably heard... S- a few of these, but yeah, I, think, I don't know. What's maybe one that stands out as mm, far as uh, let's see the the I think whenever the the, the kids were stealing my mail <laughs> and I I caught them on video and put the video on my phone, confronted their parents about it. Their parents gave me the runaround of oh we don't know whose kid this is, blah blah blah, and I ended up calling the police on them. And police showed up. They took care of the situation, um, because I, I wasn't screwing around. I was like, "You guys are taking my mail. Like, this is important. This is a business. Like, I'm trying to live." Yeah. Um, and the police figured out who it was and tracked it down. And then, as the cop was leaving, he was like, "Okay, keep an eye on your mail. You know, you're gonna get your subpoena. Um, it should show up within like three weeks." I was like, "Excuse me, what's going on?" And he's like, "Uh." the state's going to press charges on these three kids. Um, and so you have to appear in court. And I was like, what? And he was like, yeah, you have no choice. Like you cannot, the, the state's pressing charges. This isn't Matt Vary versus these three kids. This is the state of Pennsylvania versus these three kids. Why? Because it was male? Yeah, or? because okay. it was a, a, a 
unrelated to like I guess it's no longer like personal theft or anything whenever yeah. you start like screwing with uh I don't know things that are supposed to be like government property. Yeah. So that was probably the 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 reason that so did a you lot go to of the court? neighbors hate me. I did not show up that day. <laughs> um, <laughs> I figured I've done enough damage <laughs> to like yeah, you like weren't trying to Yeah, I wasn't trying to like drive that like home with those kids. I mean you know, it's not their fault that their parents don't really. I don't know. Well, you have any? Have you had any issues with the mail since then? Nope. <laughs> so I guess that. <laughs> that that's all that. Yeah. What were they taking? Just like credit card applications and uh, random shit, or it, just they were just trying to play like uh, I don't know. Like someone pulled it out, and then someone was supposed to hide it, and another kid was supposed to find it or something. And they ended up. They actually put it back. All within the cycle of me watching the start on a tape and the police showing up so that the kids ended up putting it back. So it was like a wild, they, they, they were, the mail was already back is what I'm trying to say. Okay. So there wasn't any like hunt for this missing mail. So the kids returned it, but you can't remove anything. You can't screw with anybody's mailbox. It's That's like, so weird. Like, even though they put it back, it was still like, you can't touch this. Yeah. Um, so that, that was, uh, that's that's why the, the neighborhood hates me. <laughs> um, but I guess like lo- the location though, do you think you would have been able to find a space like that anywhere else for no the, for the, the money for that the, you did? No, no way. I'd have been paying like seven to ten times as much as I paid for that building. And I'm sure that you still probably have to pay some sort of like property taxes or some bullshit on it. I don't know how any of that works. Yeah, the, do you the, like own that building? Yes, I do own the building. Okay. Um, but you do get beat up with uh, your Allegheny property tax. And then I really get beat up with uh, the school district tax. Um, Sharpsburg falls under Fox Chapel. Uh, that's fucked up. So you don't even need to have kids going to a, a school district. And that's like anything, a good school district, right? Fox Chapel? Yeah, Fox Chapel is like, ah. I mean, yeah. you go through Fox Chapel and you're looking at like a base rate of like three hundred four hundred thousand dollars on a house like, yeah yeah those are some rich people up there and you're paying for their kids to go and to I'm, school yep yep and i'm <laughs> paying them almost three grand a year for their kids to go to school yeah that's infuriating it's crazy yeah jeez so that's that's i guess the, the biggest complaint is location um elsewise with the studio i mean it would just always be nice to have more storage space it's funny because uh, even whenever I was building it and I went through 11 different revisions of layout, um, I remember the the couple people I talked to who have either done this in the past or like building in it like Kevin Bernstein um, over in Baltimore. Um, I guess just like their advice was, hey, you, you know, even if you include storage space, it's not enough. It's never going to be enough. And Sure enough, those guys were right. <laughs> it's like I've already filled up these rooms. <laughs> um, but I guess that's like not really something you're thinking of. You're getting all jazzed on the space that you have. You're like, okay, how big can I make the live room and my control room yep. and these fucking isolation rooms? Yep. And then you know you're like, yeah, it's not a, it, thinking about the closets. Yeah, the, the, the closet <laughs> is not a direct payoff. It's not something you can advertise or you know, show off to people, look how big my closet is. Yeah. It's not like a highlight, but 
so what what are your plans for that then what are you gonna do what can you do um consolidate there's some stuff i i could get rid of but it's just on a to-do list like slowly getting rid of things like slowly g- trading random things. guitars and just yeah gear bullshit that's yep. floating around sure. yeah and then trying to re- there's a it's funny because there's a, a giant box of cables in my storage room and it just the, the box is labeled questionable cables and there's probably at this point like 30 some just xlrs in there that have either crapped out during a session or someone snagged them and they ripped out of like a snake or it's just like you don't want to risk that so they end up in the box and one of these days either like i'm gonna go through it or i'll get an intern or someone to, to sit there with the meter on and <laughs> redo the solders or something. so that, that's actually an interesting question uh i know it's probably some time off but the idea of getting like an intern or having somebody else engineer in your space like do you see yourself getting to that level with the space where maybe you bring on other people as part of your team or you think you're gonna run like 100 solo throughout most of this uh that's a good question because um, you think about like some other bigger studios um and there's, you know, several different producers that are working out of them. But then again, you know, a lot of those places aren't also like your home. And right. Like yeah. That. Yeah. You can't just come and go as you please. Yeah. Because for anybody that doesn't know, Matt, you do live also at the space, right? Yes. You yes. you have a, a bed uh, yeah. there, a bedroom and a living room and a and a kitchen. And yep. Yeah. Yeah. I got the aside switch. from everything else right down the hallway. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so uh, but still, uh, that that's something that I'll, I'll give you a quick quick side story on the uh the the living right next to your studio space i <laughs> i got featured on a pretty big like home studio blog okay and they they put my studio up and everything got shared and i i remember distinctly like someone coming after me trying to get my stuff removed from this blog because he's like that's not a home studio the most things just look like your bedroom studio on the site and sure my facility looks a little bit better than that. And I I remember sending a video of me walking from my kitchen, which is about 30 steps into my live room. Yeah. Like, yep. It's, it's right here in my home. <laughs> yeah. You guys can relax now. Like it was, it was entertaining. I was like, just because it looks nice. Doesn't mean like, it's not a home studio, I guess. Yeah, but you are like on a uh, a very fine line, though. Yeah, because I I think it's probably safe to say that the studio space takes up more space than the home space, or would you say it's like fifty fifty? It's nah, the studio is about two thirds. Um, <laughs> the, 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 the floor is about uh, the floor itself is roughly like three thousand square feet, and I only live in about nine hundred square feet. You know, I only have a little bedroom, kitchen, and that awkward living like room space yeah but yeah the studio especially just like that live room the colossal live room and the giant control room Uh uh-huh those are like but getting back to um working solo or bringing on people yeah um i don't know if i have the like resources i guess to bring on a partner to the whole operation um but I do like the idea of bringing on like 
an intern or even helpers or someone who wants to learn and like get their foot in the door because you're not going to just go to school for this stuff and be able to step out and uh, kill it in the real world. I guess yeah, it like, always like cracks me up. Like the idea of uh, like something like full sale or something like that, mm-hmm. where, you know, you're paying to use all this top notch gear and then you get out of school and it's like, well, I'm paying off my school loans so I can't buy yeah. like all this incredibly awesome gear. So I'm back to working with stuff that's like a few steps below. Yep. Yeah. And then never being like raised on that or used to any of that stuff. You're just like, God, I suck. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, yeah, I think, I don't know. The, the issue with school is you don't do enough. You don't, you're not getting enough like hours logged in doing anything. Like, yeah, they could tell you and brush over, like, yeah, if you put a 57 straight on a speaker, it's going to be a nice bright tone. But as soon as you start to angle that, you're going to lose your high end and get a lot more like your mids. Yeah, they could tell you that. But until you put it in practice, you have no clue when to mic it straight versus mic it like at a 45. Like, sure. There's no one's going to walk in it just from reading that. You're not going to know listening to an amp. How you want that like 57 angled on that. And everybody's like gear is going to be different. Yeah. Until like you've worked with yep. a couple dozen bands yeah. that all have different yeah. guitar so cabs like, and different heads. Yep. It's, yeah. It's nothing fits a mold, I guess. And that's, that's what school, it seems like, is telling everybody that there is a specific like formula for this. And you, I mean, you'll get people who are like, just quick example, like we want our guitars pan like hard left and right. And then all other people are like, we want our guitars pan like 50, 50. And that steers a whole different direction on like how you got to lay stuff out and where your center of sound is. And yeah. It's just like mixing for one versus mixing for the other. There's two different styles involved with that. And like, I don't even think, you know, that's, that's alone like 40 hours spent on each separate project just understanding like guitar placement and it's just it's a lot of doing it and it's a lot of experience Um, do you ever uh i I know damn well you like (laughs) deal with this a lot we've probably talked about it before just uh bands coming in with like i know what i want and i want this but they like tell you what their end result, the end result that they want, and they tell you what they want to do to achieve it. But that's not how you achieve the end result. Yep. So you have to like yep. fight with them about it. Yep. Do you find yourself, um, like fighting for like, no, this is really what you want. Trust me, or just kind of like fuck it, whatever you want to do. Uh, <laughs> I, I guess you you kind of end up in the middle. You, you it all depends on how much the the clients looking up to you as to how much help or how much input they want from you sometimes people come in and they'll look at me as like a a, a fourth fifth or sixth member of their band yeah and that's how we're going to work on this project and other times people look at me as the guy who's going to sit behind a desk and press record and put mics on things and 
not give his they, input anything. They don't they, want you to say yeah, a fucking just, word. Yep. Yeah. And uh so I I've had both projects and it's uh I I don't know. I I like being like the the fourth, fifth, yeah. sixth member of the band a lot more than I like being just the the guy sitting there pushing buttons. Sure, just uh, from working with you, yeah, over the years, I, I I'm well aware that that's how you are. Yeah. Have you ever had any issues with bands like just being like turds about <laughs> things, or is everybody just kind of like, even if they don't know what they're talking about, they're usually like kind of okay to deal with still. Um, I just from doing it from so long, you do start to develop like tactics, I guess, or like <laughs> to ways, dodge, yeah, yeah ways okay. to like, um, kind of get your way with things, or at least like get to a point where I'm like, hey, I can at least deal with this, or I can sure. work with it. I mean, it's like you're the one driving this bus. Yeah, yeah. So, so no matter what, like. You have to play by my rules. Yeah, like, the the some situations that will drive me nuts are anytime someone has a piece of gear and they're like, "I own this, therefore it is the best," and you know, like I paid money for this, therefore I have to use it. Like situations like that, um, you know, you'll get drummers in there that are like, "This is my snare drum, so we're using it," and it's like. All right, bud. Like, maybe just for a second, your snare drum hasn't been like given to you from Jesus Himself. Like, we have other snare drums here. Let's try. I, I didn't like seek out a Black Beauty just to have it sit in my storage room. You know? Yeah, it's just like there there are other options. You know, I, it's it's good to stay open, not just this is my tone. Um, I've had someone come in with their amp and their gain all the way up on their amp and getting them to back down that gain was enough of a challenge. It was like, listen to this album and now listen to what your guitar sounds like and listen to this album. And it's like, <laughs> this is back and forth of like, please just hear what I'm hearing. Like, are we really that like tone deaf at this point? Um, well, if you've been playing with your gain up all the way. <laughs> yep. Yeah. The, uh, the, uh, on a, a slightly, unrelated note but still like gear related note the the symbol story um is still probably my favorite thing that's ever happened in the studio to date this far was uh i'm sure like some people have heard this and i hope that the person who did this isn't ever gonna listen to this (laughs) but um i had a drummer come in and he sets up his kit and sets up his symbols and i'm looking at these symbols and there's no ink on them no text just brass symbols i'm like okay is this some weird custom thing or are these things really really vintage before companies started you know they used to like etch their logos and stuff in them rather than put ink and this guy's like oh no 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 see you got to take your symbols and you got to polish them up really hard and you got to get you have to remove the ink from them because the ink on the symbols makes them dull it's like, yeah, it reduces like the brightness of the sim- it's a it's a, affecting the tone of these symbols. And I was like, all right, but like my god, have you that- ever heard that before? Never. Never have I heard that. Never have I seen that. I was just like in shock that like that was the the the, the problem with his tone was the ink on his symbols, not 
the drum kit, not anything else, but that was like okay, the pressing matter that he had to take care of. Yeah. So how like, does cymbal sound? Like any other cymbal. <laughs> <laughs> yep. I was like, all right. <laughs> That's super. When you think you've heard it all. I'm sure you'll hear more. That's yeah. fucking weird. <laughs> I'm like actually like flabbergasted just thinking about that. What? Uh, how do you? How do you how get, do you get it off? Head. How do you get it off? Probably like some real powerful like chemical remover, like methyl ethyl ketone, or like heavy duty paint thinner or something. Like... <laughs> um, <laughs> thinking, talking about whatever the hell that word you just said was. What was it? Methyl methyl ethyl ketone. Methyl ethyl ketone. Uh, speaking of methyl ethyl ketone, yeah. <laughs> your knowledge for building supplies and paints and things like that how did that increase over the course of building the studio did you have a good grip on this sort of thing prior to this or going into this was it kind of like a i have a a, a somewhat understanding but a big learning process for you because i know your dad helped with a ton of stuff but yeah. i don't know how much like prior to that how much experience you had like building rooms and laying floors and yeah um, all the shit you did no going in it there's like I, i'd say like knowledge wise it increased at least like tenfold afterwards and it it's just wild seeing the transformation of the building that we saw it happen in the transformation in like ourselves as far as like holy cow this is really what we're taking on and yeah i definitely like owe a ton of it to my dad for like being there for all of the work and like giving me his expertise where we needed. Yeah. And, I like, mean, pretty much any time I was ever there, he was there. Yeah. Working yeah. on something. Yeah. Oh yeah. He killed it. And yeah. it was just like, especially like, I don't think I could have pulled it off without his help. Um, so definitely owe a lot to him and going in a, no, neither of us had ever built like a studio. <laughs> <laughs> And I will tell you, just, you know, it did take three and a half years front to finish um, building the place. But it, Jesus Christ, building studio walls compared to just like framing a normal like bedroom in and stuff, that is at least quadruple the time. Um, all the walls are floating, everything's decoupled, ceilings are floating, floors yeah. are floating. And oh, it's just. For those who don't know, your studio is right next to train tracks. Yes. Uh, about 40 feet away are active train tracks. Yep. Yeah. And so, yeah, everything's fucking floating yeah. in the studio, which is yeah. super cool. And that probably helped it sound like like because you had to like overcompensate so much, it probably sounds yep. a lot better than it would have had it not yeah, been had in not that environment. Yep. Yeah, so that's one good thing about the location. Yeah, I, guess I think it that forced us it, to build fourteen-inch thick walls. Yeah, like, <laughs> <laughs> yep. Yeah, it, it it really forced me to like. It, it, so much homework went into that place. So much like things that they tell you about in school, as far as like project management or like this is you know the real world of doing research and junk. That's like the tip of the iceberg of what you do in school versus like whenever you're. Whenever it's your money 
in your hard work going into something and your finished product that you're working towards, it's it on that scale, it's such a different ball game of like I have to be right or I have to like be committed to this. Yeah, and, it's not like some little side project that you're doing like yeah it's not like oh we're gonna paint the garage yeah <laughs> something like yeah if you choose the wrong paint you can repaint it or something yeah, it's but like, like you this. know this is uh i'm planning on quitting my job to yeah, move to... my work here that i've been you know yeah. my craft that i have been honing for yeah the past like however many years of my life and i'm also going to be living here this is going to be my home yeah and there's a lot of responsibility that's the thing is like you're not just building a studio you're building where you're gonna live yeah too yep which i guess if you're gonna do both of those things it's good to get it all knocked out <laughs> yeah yeah it's all done yeah yeah um i i feel like as much of a pain in the ass as a lot of that was was it also fun at sometimes too just getting to learn how to do all that stuff yeah i think um it it was all I, I guess you could say enjoyable, um, you know, cause like looking back, looking back. Yeah. And I, it, it, after we got into it, um, the, it, it hits you like, Hey, this isn't like a couple month job. We're going to be in this for the long term, And like, you do try to, at least I would try to appreciate like what was going on and what transformations were happening. And it, it was interesting seeing the the progress go because every day you'd be doing something there, whether it's like we're just running electrical or rerouting some plumbing or laying flooring and just the different like ways that you'd view your progress. Like whenever we, the sheetrock went up that, completely changed the way the building felt and that was like we just took a thousand steps forward whereas like these other things where it was like yeah we're pulling electrical every day it felt like nothing was getting done like you were staring at the same framing and it it's, it was like a roller coaster of emotions i guess going through the build stages of like yeah we're doing great and this is fun and then like oh my god it's another weekend of just like pulling wires and running electrical um but I think towards like the end of the experience and working through it, you, you, at least for me, I, I started to like really pay attention to like the days and appreciate like what was going on whenever you could finally see like the light at the end of the tunnel and you're yeah. like, Hey, we did it. Like now it's just like, we're on the home stretch. Like after you got the sheetrock and stuff up, it was like, there's no turning back at this point. Like uh -huh. it started to make, started to take shape. You can like see all your your two years of hard work actually. Yeah. Starting to come together. What is your favorite thing about the space? Uh, <laughs> uh about the the studio or about the entire place? Both. Uh, sure. There's two different answers. Well, yeah, t as far as the studio goes, I I just love the control room and I love like the atmosphere of it i think it's very comfortable and like yeah it's great for me i could spend most of the time i spend 10 to 12 hours in there a day and it's not it doesn't feel like the office that i'm used to sitting into for the 
past like six years of my job or, or that weird basement corner yeah yeah being in a corner yeah i i really i like one thing that i wish i had the space for like in here like you have your desk but it's not directly against the wall yeah so there's still like kind of space around you and it's not so like trapped yep whereas like if i'm working on something here it's like the wall's right there and it's like i don't know i don't like if I look away for a second, just like get my eyes away from the screen, yeah, there being like a wall, yeah, right in front of my like, face, yeah, you're, you're closed in, yeah, yeah. So I always try to like either do work in the kitchen or in the living room. Like I'm yeah. only in here if I absolutely have to be. Yep, yep. No, I hear you on that. Definitely, just like the workspace plus being centered. Well, the the desk itself is in center. There's a whole math equation behind where the desk where your monitors end up in that room really yes yep everything works in like 33s okay um so like 33 percent away from the wall uh is ideal to kill like any standing waves in your head level you want it to be either 33 percent from the ceiling or 66 from the floor again to like reduce the chance of hitting a standing wave but the (laughs) (laughs) so just like like this is like you just spit that like it's just like casual yep. knowledge like duh <laughs> dummy <laughs> just stuff you had to learn just figuring out how to make the control room an ideal listening environment and i think that's why i love spending so much time in there it's just like everything sounds awesome <laughs> so like i'm all fucked up right now with my setup like this is not an optimal setup yeah is what you're telling me yeah the the big thing about your setup right here that I could tell you real quick is your first reflection points are the killers. Um, so your first reflection point right there, your speaker's against the wall. Um, so you're immediately going to have a slap back there. So your high end's going to be heavier on your right side because of the wall than on your left where you don't have a wall. Yeah. So you're going to mix high heavy on your left. Yeah. Well, I always mix with <laughs> headphones anyways. There you go. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So that that's just things you've, you know, any first reflection point, it was like, treat it. And just like, I don't know. Never, never knew that before going in it. What about the turntable speakers over here? What do you got to tell me about those? Uh, that's pretty good as far as placement. Do they got rear ports or is it front ported? Front ported. Front ported. Okay. Front ported is nowhere near as good as rear ported, but in an environment like this, you can't have rear ported against the wall. You need at least like three feet behind the port. Yeah. But the issue with front ported on a cab is your speakers playing. You know, it's waveforms coming out of the speaker, but there's also a inverse coming out of that port, and you're pretty much intercepting them both in the front and the speaker. The reason for a rear port is to throw that air as far away as possible and keep the speaker, like, pushing its air forward. Yeah. That makes sense. Speaker signs. <laughs> yeah. But, you know, those are, like, super old speakers. Old yeah, bullshit. those are good, though, Advents. Yeah. yeah, they're good. I like yeah. them. Good for the turntable. Yeah. Yep. No, that's definitely like, <laughs> I don't know. Just if anybody decides to listen to this and <laughs> made yeah. it this far, uh-huh. um, if you ever want to come out and just listen to something in that space, it's definitely like worth the experience in itself. Like if you're like, hey, give me a tour. Like, yeah, let me show you something. In there. Yeah, I mean, that night that we did like the little listening thing, yeah. that yeah. was awesome. We, we'll yeah. do that again sometime. Yeah. Whenever Just, life's not so fucking hectic. Yeah. Um, your favorite thing about the space in general? 
Um, <laughs> the, I think just like the, 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 the feng shui of the whole place maybe is just, I, I really like, it's, it's funny cause I get a kick out of the show, the, the fixer upper, I don't know. It's on like the, it's on Netflix. Okay. I've never seen it. And it's just like these people that remodel houses and it's all like the exact same thing where they're just like knock the walls down and make it the big open concept. And that's kind of what I did whenever I did the, the the kitchen and living space and junk. It's all like one big open area. And I think, I don't know, it's very comforting, like having light come through like the back doors and being able to see that throughout like the, uh-huh. and uh, I don't know, the, the entrance is also very pretty in the building. And then uh, I, I got a giant projector. I got a 101 inch TV, so. Whenever yeah. I do end up watching the the Fixer Upper show, it's, <laughs> it's nice having that with like a, a a very legitimate sound system. I did not skimp anywhere on anything speaker wise in the building. Yeah. Um. So those are, those are my I don't know favorite things I guess. Totally. So I guess an interesting question that we could kind of end this on because we're not going to go for two and a half hours like we did oh, the first yeah. time we did this. <laughs> Uh, (laughs) what a what a what a time and plus i just i don't have that much to say to you matt i just i I talk to you too much (laughs) but generic advice for like anyone that like wants to do home recording or a band that wants to like track themselves like i don't know what would you say like uh it's you- funny because um i don't it's it's not like primarily my personal advice but um kurt Ballou actually said it and okay, i i completely agree with him when he said don't let your gear or your equipment or your situation or anything that you're dealing with don't think that that is your limiting factor um so as long as you you no longer sit there and like blame whatever it is that you know your equipment or whatever you blame that for not doing something or not being as good yeah that then that you're just restricting yourself totally and you know I agree with that too one hundred percent a lot of people even come to me cause, I mean I I record yeah so much stuff that I do and people are like well. I don't have a nice laptop and I'm like, motherfucker, I recorded almost all of my albums on a windows 98 IBM computer for the past 12 years. Yeah. It's like, and it's not, it's not a great computer, but it works. What your laptop probably works better than that computer does, but it's just like, I deal with, I dealt with the limitations and got what I needed to do to like make it work. And I made it work. Yeah. Yeah. It's just like, you know, as soon as you get in that mindset where you're like, hey, until I could get like a thousand bucks to upgrade this, like, I can't do anything. I'm not going to be good. And it's like, no, like, whenever I first started out doing this back in 2006, 2007, I had one of those Lexicon Omega interfaces. And yeah. I had a It's like the ugliest interfaces in oh, the yeah. world. You just want to kick the thing. It looks <laughs> like a toaster. Yeah. <laughs> they had just like a a single 57 and i was just like recording guitar cabs in my bedroom and just like would 
do eight or nine takes just figuring different mic placements and putting a guitar loop through it. So it was always like, you know, your variables didn't change. The only thing changing here was my mic placement each time and then screwing around with knobs and seeing. And it was just like learning and really figuring out what you can all do with that 57. Then when you get a second mic, hey, do the same thing again. Or you get a new like preamp, do the same thing and just make sure you get fully comfortable yeah. with what you're using. I wonder how much of that kind of mindset of like, I don't want to do this until I'm able to get the top notch gear is people thinking or expecting the gear to do a lot of the work for them once they obtain it. Yeah. You, know, you think like about like, about it or yeah, like, you think about like, Oh, like if I work with this not so great computer now and this cheap interface, it might be more work for me to produce this stuff. Whereas if I have a super nice computer and a yeah. nice interface, it's going to be a lot easier. Whereas it's not. Yeah. It's still a, mostly the same amount of work's going to go into it. Yeah. Or, or maybe in the long run, yeah, it's going to be easier, but there's a learning curve then involved with it. You know, there's just like making the jump to Ableton. Um, yeah, there's a huge learning curve coming out of, like for me, like Reason, getting into Ableton. But the people I've seen produce in Ableton, it's blowing my mind what those guys can do. But I'm like, they got hours, they got at least like 100, 150 hours of like just work logged into that program easily before they got yeah fluent with it and like i think just like oh i'm gonna jump into this program and it's gonna save me it's like no i suck in this like compared to what i'm used to but the i think just making do with what you got and if you can really like i don't know, like push through with that i guess if it really sucks and then you're really gonna learn about yourself but if you if you get out of that mindset of just like gotta upgrade got it there's always something better and just focus with what you got um person that comes to mind allegra i just did mastering work for her and whenever she showed me what she was working with she said this this macbook and i was shocked that the fact that she was able to mix an album on something that you'd hit play and within five seconds you'd have a complete cpu overload dropout and that's how, to, just like going through doing the entire album like that. Just and I was like, getting used to the dropout and her. Yeah. This, yeah. And I was like, you know, so many people would have given up at that point and been like, nah, I'm not worth it. Or like, I can't do this and junk. And then hearing like the final product she was able to get from that blew away so many people. And I was like, it, it again, it just comes back to don't think that your limiting factor is like. I don't know what's holding you back. Yeah. So I, you can push through that. I think a lot of it too just has to do with like how much of a fuck you genuinely give <laughs> yep. about what you want to do. <laughs> yep. You know, so that's a thing too. I think for some people it's just like, oh, recording music could, they, it's just as simple as pushing record and doing this and that. And then yep. they don't think about things like having to deal with a CPU dropout yeah. or latency issues yeah, or the the sheer concept of multi-tracking and yeah things and like or like your fucking routing going wrong if like you your interface won't talk to your shit right or yeah you like, know some way file on your computer gets moved and then like your project won't fucking open like yeah. all the stupid things that can go wrong yeah but if you give enough of a fuck yeah it doesn't matter so it's like well okay yeah i gotta make this thing you happen to, yep 
Yeah. And it, it it's funny for me too, because being in the, the, you know, doing this professionally now changes the way you look at it and the way like if someone is paying you to do something, you can't shrug it off and be like, well, I don't know how to make this happen or anything. It's like you have to be on your game at all time and there's no, like it just someone was telling me a story they were tracking with somebody and they were like, oh no, we can't change like tempo map. Like you set the BPM for the whole project. And it's like, what? Like you could change a tempo map very easily. Like that's something old DAWs were able to do. And just like to hear, you know, it's like if someone comes to me and they're like, hey, we don't, we want accents on like every downbeat or we don't want accents on every, you better know how to do that. You can't just, expect them to be able to deal with anything yeah what ending we're gonna end this now yeah yeah we don't want to ride this out but i just had a good question what in the new space now what has been like the biggest challenge recording wise has anybody brought anything crazy that you're like what am i gonna do with this like a bizarre instrument or just like a overbearing project maybe with a lot of different things going on uh i'll give you two quick stories about that okay the one that i think came to us and we were like oh you know we need to kind of pull back on this and figure out what's going on with the uh the lawn care album i think going into that none of us expected it to turn out as what it did it's got horns on it it's got there's so much clean guitar work like just Cameron coming in and the how well we all work together to make that happen, I think was definitely like, this wasn't what we were expecting. This was a huge challenge to kind of steer it to where it ended up. And then another project I just did was these two guys came in and they wanted like very produced pop music. And I, I showed you the, the sample of that before we started this yeah and that's something that you know i've very light experience with excessive amounts of auto-tune and excessive amounts of just vocal layering and just making things like the 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 drums like triggering and making very like everything has to be precise and in your face and radio ready radio like very clean cut and uh I think doing that was kind of like a curveball that I was like, all right, got to like throw on the producer hat here and like listen to, you know, what their influences are and then try to apply that to my style, but also like work with them to, you know, people who were just like, whatever amp works, works. Yeah. It it wasn't like, this is what we wanted. It was a a very much like Matt Berry, you're the, the, the third wheel here and like, well, you're the third member, not the third. We all know, <laughs> but uh, you're the third member, and like you figure it out, kind of things. And that, that was definitely a challenge. But looking back on it, it turned out way better than like I thought I was gonna do. But I think that that's the, I think the cool thing about you that's fortunate is it like I think from the beginning you were recording a lot of different types of music, you know, uh, different. Yeah, it was never like, I mean, like, there's definitely that like Matt very hardcore band era 
Yeah. Which I think that maybe that's past now. Yeah. I don't think that you're tracking that many hardcore bands anymore. No, I, I think like hardcore is only making up like 30% of the workload at this point. Yeah. But I mean, even in that era, you were still doing indie rock stuff or more yeah. like rock and roll stuff or just off the wall soundtrack scoring type stuff. Yeah. Yeah. So you always, I think you, from the beginning, were recording different instruments and trying to. If, yeah, in different situations. The, yeah. And again, it's just like not having a routine or not having one like defined method of anything and you worked in several different spaces too like yeah so yep. you kind of yeah, like four different situations before the, the studio so you kind of got a feel for like how different rooms worked i think yeah probably a little bit yep yeah you yeah, yeah i don't know learn as much as you can just throw it out through whatever you're doing um yeah but yeah okay yeah <laughs> <laughs> I, I guess that's everything that's it if if uh i don't know anyone ever wants to come see the space do a tour you know how to find me i'm on facebook i'm on the internet you can just google my name google you can, you can, you can there's a phone number on google maps <laughs> that you could call <laughs> please don't call the google maps phone number um <laughs> But uh, yeah. If you, no, if you have a a child prodigy guitar player, <laughs> look up the phone number on Google and call Matt. Yep. Yeah. If you want to hear the the child prodigy story, come hang out. I'll show you the space. If you're interested in getting involved or anything, hit me up or hit Brian up. Yeah, he, he needs somebody to uh, do dishes yeah. and wrap cables. <laughs> Make me coffee. Yeah. Okay. Well, fuck. That's it's been nice talking to you. Yeah, Matt. nice talking to you. Yeah, and we are done. And that is all, folks. Thanks so much for listening. Hope you enjoyed the conversation. Matt Very, one of the best people I know. And yeah, if you aren't familiar with any of his recordings and what he does go check out his website lots of good information and things like that links in the description again episode 100 i should care more but i don't <laughs> so i'll be back again next week with another new episode same time same place same channel you know the drill my name is sykes start the beat 2016 Woo! Woo! Thanks for listening.